You know, the thing that strikes me most is you, you go through the countryside and you see these big white sheds. They're pristine from the outside. But then when you get inside, when you get past the staff area, when you open the door into where the animals are kept, then what you don't see on the video, what you don't feel is the sensory overload from the air is just full of particles and ammonia. Like your nose is streaming, your eyes are streaming, your lungs are filling up. After you've been in a place like that, you basically have flashbacks. You talk about the health of the animals. I think the mental health of those poor animals too. You see the misery in their eyes. You feel the misery when you go into the room and you realize that they're terrified of humans. Your words kind of fail. When, when you think back. I mean, we, we captured photographs, we captured video, but it, it doesn't do it justice. Hello there, veggie mates. I'm stoked to be with you again for another episode of the Veg Talk podcast. I am your host, Matthew Davey, and you just heard from Jenny McQueen, and today we will be hearing from Jenny and her husband, Peter. Anna and I stayed with them whilst we were in Toronto and we were so grateful for their amazing hospitality during a very cold few days in Toronto. They are two of the nicest people we have ever met and it's been a highlight of our time on the road. Jenny is from the UK and moved to Canada when her and Peter got married. She left an animal activism scene that she'd helped to grow and that was very well established for a scene that wasn't so big in Toronto. This was a tough move for her in the beginning but also the perfect opportunity for her to get involved with the Toronto vegan scene, which is now booming. Jenny details her experience with open rescues, disruptions, and her current situation with charges that have been laid against her. Peter is a Toronto native and has been involved in the vegan and vegetarian movement for a long time. He recounts his journey to veganism and also a great story on how he proposed to Jenny in the UK. During our stay, Jenny suggested that we attend a cow save vigil in Toronto. You may have seen the photos on Instagram that I posted from these events, but this is something that will forever be burned into mine and Anna's memory. It's an experience I think all people can learn from just by watching. Experiencing these sounds and smells and exchanging eye contact with these animals is powerful and something a video cannot provide. We later attended a pig save event in Burlington, Ontario, two days later. It's not a warm and fuzzy experience, however, it is only a couple of hours out of our day to bear witness and to see these animals in their last moments. A big thank you to Jenny and Peter for having us and for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation and I'll see you all at the end. Awesome. We're rolling. So, currently sitting in the living room of Peter and Jenny McQueen here, just outside of, or it's, is it still Toronto? It's still Toronto. Just about. Still yeah. Toronto. Yeah. 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 Ontario. So, Anna and I have continued our little road trip across the country and we've we've made it here. Drove in, Welcome. saw the skyline and now Lovely. we're Lovely. here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Um, yeah, again, really short notice. So really mm -hmm. appreciate the time you've given up and looking forward to, yeah, to having you on the show. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolute pleasure. Cheers guys. So mm -hmm. would, we were talking before, you know, we've learned a little bit about your off, 
off the mic um but we'd love to know for the listener again you know you guys grew up in different countries mm-hmm. but have much the same you know passions and and drive um behind what you're doing now mm-hmm. but i'd love to learn a little bit about each of you and growing up where you were from you know what brought you to the to veganism and what brought you to to what you're doing now uh, and then we can i suppose we can we can have a look at you know what what happened after you guys met and and how everything's gone since then mm-hmm. okay whoever wants to go first yeah well i was born in liverpool england um grew up not doing anything animal rights related went to school remember looking at the picture of a cow with the various names on the parts of each cut didn't think twice about it mother used to make all sorts of nasties for dinner didn't think twice about eating any of that stuff Um, and it was only then in my late 20s that um, my brother gave me a subscription to a vegetarian magazine and then there's there's um I mean I started reading on that started reading up issues and saw a little ad for becoming vegan and then gradually you know read a little bit more no internet no nothing around at the time but uh read a few articles and uh yeah my mind started opening up to these issues very cool so your brother kind of got you into it through a a subscription yeah so yeah. you, you started reading the subscription as it was coming more and more yeah once yep. a month um and then i did a little bit of research myself and then um the <clears throat> the ceo of the organization reached out to see if i wanted to join a local animal rights group and i joined that and then i ended up being on the board of that vegetarian organization and um, we kind of worked to bring um, veganism a little bit more into that organization i think it's fair to say Mm. Uh, we had a few big successes and um, started becoming active with a lot of different animal rights organizations in the uk too so you said that before you said that was like early 90s yeah i kind of started on my journey um i don't know about 92 Mm -hmm. and then um I mean, the only particular record I have of, of the, the 90s is we started getting the media. So um, I start getting a few media articles in the late 90s about the animal rights activism that I was um, organizing and being part of. So what was it like back then? I mean, the UK now is, it seems like, almost the leader. From what I can see from, you know, from social media and and restaurants in the country in the UK, it seems like they're doing a really good job of, of leading the movement. Um, what was it like back then in the 90s? Was it was it mainly the, the protest and the activism? Obviously, social media wasn't around, so... Yeah, yeah, it was um, a little bit bitty in a way. We had the big organisations and we had some grassroots activism around the country. Now, things are a lot more coordinated. Like You have Surge happening, you have Earthling Ed happening... Um, Viva is an organization that I was involved with way back and is still going strong. But there's still a heck of a lot of work to, to do, even in the UK, even though the animal rights movement is really strong. Um, 
when you delve down and when you do investigations into um, animal agriculture, you find that people are still trying to get away with treating animals in awful situations. And there's still um, a fight against um, fox hunting, even though it's been outlawed. There's still issues with badgers being culled by the government. So when you when you know the issues, um, I think it's fair to say that not one country is an absolute paradise for animals or for the vegan movement. There's still a lot of work that needs to happen. Yeah, I suppose once some issues start to subside, we might gear our attention towards the other ones that are still, you know, they're still happening. Right. You need to continue to be vigilant. When I left the UK, there was no pretty much no fur on the streets. Mm. And then we went back at Christmas time right. and my hometown. Yeah. I remember in the 90s, <clears throat> we um, we were doing a booth in town. We saw a lady in a fur coat. We screamed down the street at her um, in a nonviolent way, of course, in a peaceful, <laughs> nonviolent, yep. semi-loving way, <laughs> has to be said. Yeah. Um, but then when we went back at Christmas, yeah. I, w- I was shocked to see yeah. fur trim It was everywhere all over the, the place, streets. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah. Yeah, and some of the kids yeah. I spoke to, mm-hmm. they just didn't have a clue that an animal needed to be killed for that fur trim. Mm-hmm. So those companies have somehow brought it back into oh, yeah. into fashion yeah. and maybe taken advantage of people that, or marketed towards people right. that don't have the knowledge of where it's coming from or yeah. you know they're not necessarily thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um I think they're just doing yeah. it as a fashion statement, as a yeah. fad, as a yep. attainable goal of owning some product that's expensive and trendy mm-hmm. um, and either don't know or don't care about the animals, really. Yeah, no, for sure. And we can get into some of the fur stuff later. I know you're very passionate about it and you've done some mm-hmm. work uh, with with the fur activism. Um, we, yeah. we might take it over to Peter now and, and hear sure. a little bit about yeah, your background and also how you got into the whole movement. Right. Um, so, uh, so I was brought up in a very suburban environment. Um, uh, was it you know, in Ontario? In, in Toronto, yeah, yep. in the suburbs of Toronto. Um, a, little, a little ways from here. Yep. Um, uh, and my parents were immigrant, immigrants from the UK. Uh, and... Uh, so I, I was raised with the standard Canadian diet, which is very similar to the standard American diet with a, with a British twist to it and uh, with more you know, roast dinners on Sunday and that sort of thing. But um, didn't question anything, you know, I mean, I think I'm a teacher now and I can see that even through teaching, we, you know, especially in primary school, primary levels of uh, early levels of, of education, kindergarten and on and early primary grades you've got stories and rhymes and things and they're really about animal agriculture but very uh put in sort of a nursery rhyme way that makes it just acceptable and uh yeah, i can remember you know this little piggy went to market you know and these sort of things and it's like what's that mean well it, it didn't mean anything to me it was just funny um but uh i just you know everybody i knew ate meat everybody i knew uh, and it was much less multicultural Toronto when I was being when I was raised uh, certainly in my elementary years in school, um, 
and never questioning, never thinking about what I ate or where it came from. And yet I knew I loved animals. Whenever I was around animals, I loved to be with them. I love nature. And I was fortunate that I never hunted, I think. I think that was a good thing. But I did fish when I was young a few times, more than a few times, I guess. And I, there was, I liked being the environment I was in, on a dock, in a boat, that sort of thing, on a lake. That was, that was pleasant, peaceful. And yet there was a violent act that I was engaged in and not really realizing it was violent in some ways. There was a certain thrill in the catch. But then I do recall went getting a fish out into a boat and the fish flopping around. And of course it was flopping around because it was out of its environment. It wasn't able to breathe because they breathe in water through gills, of course. Uh, and it was basically suffocating. I didn't know that technical part, but I could see it was suffering. And that bothered me at the time. And even the so-called cleaning of the fish the, and the killing of the fish, that bothered me. So I was kind of fortunate in a way. I know some people, when they become vegetarian, they sort of cut out one meat and then another and then another. And often they end on fish. And, and of course, some people we know sometimes even call themselves vegetarian but eat fish. And fish was one of the first things I started thought about not eating because I'd had that experience. So I guess uh, I became, I started to think about becoming vegetarian, uh, just thinking about the ideas around it uh, when I was, I don't know, 15, 14, 15 years old, which is probably young for some people, certainly, but I know of, of people who've become vegetarian uh, even younger. So it's, I'm not going to hold it as being some you know, amazing thing, but um, I just started to think about it and question it and wonder, well, do we need to eat animals? And if we don't need to eat animals, isn't it, isn't it causing suffering and da killing of animals? It seems wrong. We say it's wrong to murder. Why isn't it wrong to kill a deer or a, or a cow or a pig or a chicken or anything like or a fish? Um, and I gradually became to question it. I must have been aware that there were vegetarians. I certainly knew there were vegetarians in India. And maybe I had heard of some vegetarians in, in North America, but I certainly hadn't met any. Uh, and none of my relatives, none of my friends were vegetarian, and it wasn't popular then at all. So, but I started to think about it seriously. And I remember uh, going to a couple of high school friends and uh, saying, um, you know, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm thinking of becoming vegetarian. What do you think about that? And the reaction I got, it, it's as if I had said to them, I'm thinking of becoming an axe murderer. It, it was, they, they attacked me verbally. They said I was crazy. You know, are you nuts? Like, why would you do that? You know, and so I found myself arguing for vegetarianism, for not eating animals. And I still was at the time which was kind of strange, but I was going through the thought process. So I'd already thought about reasons why, and, and, and I guess I'd thought of maybe some possible objections, uh, and found myself defending vegetarianism without being vegetarian. And that made me go home and think, well, do I really want to do this? If this is going to be the reaction I get, do I really want to do this? So I thought about it some more, and that no, I do want to do this. I want to try this. So I, I set myself a challenge as a New Year's resolution, and I didn't make many of those, but I said, okay, I'm going to try a vegetarian diet as an experiment before the year's, year is out, uh, year is over. 
And after a couple, after a few months, about three or three months or so, I'd already been cutting back before, and I just ramped up, ramped up the the reduction in in animal consumption, and found that I had become vegetarian. I was no longer eating animals. And I went, well, I'm not going to go back now. I, I'm just going to keep going. And after a few months, I decided this isn't an experiment anymore. I'm actually vegetarian. Uh, made some mistakes along the way. Didn't realize that certain foods had animals in them and, and that sort of thing, like soups and that sort of stuff. But gradually learned. Um, found a book at the time that was out new in the mid-70s uh, called um, Diet for a Small Planet. Mm. Um, which Who wrote was, that? Uh, Francis Moore LePay. Um, it's been republished a few times and it sort of, it actually led me in the wrong path in a way because it was all concerned about protein, getting enough protein, making sure you had enough protein and protein complementing your amino acids. And it, and one of the easy ways to do that was to eat dairy and eggs in your, in your dishes. So I made a point of having a lot of cheese and a lot of eggs (laughs) and, um, it became a substitute for meat for me in a lot of ways. I mean, I had grains and beans and things as well and tofu and stuff but uh, such it was available I mean I found a health food store and I you know I found things to buy Uh, it certainly wasn't as easy Um, but I went on like that for many years um, thinking that there was no harm to dairy cows uh, or their offspring uh, chickens you know I just thought there was nothing wrong with it uh, and I remember a couple of times asking questions, but people reassuring me that it was fine, you know, no, no problem at all. And not having any, any personal experience of, of farm animals, it, I just accepted that. And it wasn't until oh, 10 years later that I started to meet people who had become uh, vegan, although most of them were doing it for health reasons, um, that I thought, well, that's possible. It's possible to be vegan. Okay. But these people that I was meeting first in Toronto were just doing it strictly on the health basis. And I wasn't really interested in that. Maybe it's my age. Who knows? I, I just wasn't concerned about that. I mean, I, I felt that vegetarianism was beneficial and, and maybe veganism was, but although I, I'd heard that it was a little harder to get all the nutrients. Um, but then uh, meeting some animal rights-oriented ethical vegans in the U.S. when I went to a a conference of the North American Vegetarian Society, and it was all the food was vegan. That was the other thing. I was eating vegan for that few days, and then meeting people, and they were doing it for ethical reasons. And I remember I also watched a film. There was a film called The Animals Film that was out at that time in the mid-'80s. And apparently someone's told me since that that was the vegetarian maker of its day. Uh, but it actually helped me become vegan. It sort of started me on that thought process of, you know, I started to become aware that the the dairy about the dairy the problem with dairy in terms of veal and in terms of um, spent dairy cows being slaughtered and all that, and similarly with eggs, um, what happens to the males and and, and all that. So the, the of the of the egg laying hens. Um, so I got I got I started to get knowledgeable about it, and when I came back to Toronto, I cut a huge amount of dairy and eggs out of my diet. Uh, I, but I didn't become vegan right away. And part of the reason was simply that it was a lot harder to do that then. Uh, there weren't as many foods available, many substitutes, many alternatives. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know. And again, I didn't have a support system here either. But I gradually, gradually sort of 
reduced and reduced and reduced my meat, my, not my meat consumption. I already cut that out, but my dairy mm-hmm. and egg consumption until the point when I can't say a particular day or year, but I, I actually became vegan hundred percent and never looked back. So, yeah. You mentioned to me earlier, right. You're an only child. Yes. Were your parents at all concerned about your choice at a young age or, you know, did they have any words of wisdom for you on, <laughs> on your new decision? Uh, well, my mother was, she said to me, you're going to have to learn how to cook. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cook. Uh, she was already making some modifications for my dad's meals because he was supposed on a, supposed to be on a so-called low cholesterol diet because he had some heart concerns or at least high cholesterol. And, um, but that was like one egg a day instead of three sort of thing, you know? So it was like, it was hardly, hardly, uh, particularly, uh, uh, healthful. Um, but, uh, and I think she herself had to have low salt because of high blood pressure and things like that. These are sort of standard diseases of, of the excess of the, of the North American diet. Um, so, but she said, you know, you're going to have to cook your own meals. I'm not going to learn how to cook your meals. So fine, I did. I started, I got recipe books, uh, you know, cookbooks, and I started to, to do things. And um, so, yeah, so that was one only thing. She didn't say you're going to, and I think the initial reaction was you're probably going to die sort of thing. And I, but I was lucky in having that Diet for a Small Planet book because it did talk about this is where you get your protein, this is where you get calcium, et cetera. And I got later books that also had, you know, sources of nutrients. So I was able to show her those and say, you know, Look, Mom, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. And I was fortunate. My father was, I don't think he really cared much. I think he was sort of like, oh, this is a phase, maybe. He might have thought that. I remember a a friend of the family who was over for dinner. I remember sitting around the dining room table eating dinner. And I was eating my food that I had prepared, and they were eating God knows what animal. And um, and she said, she turned to my parents and said, oh, this is just a phase. He'll grow out of it, which I thought was entire, completely insulting to me. He didn't say it to me. He said it to my parents. Uh, but so there were some negative reactions, and I actually kept it quiet from schoolmates and, and in a lot of cases. I, I mean, I would once I got to know people better, I might say I'm vegetarian. And later, I'm vegan, but uh, I didn't make it a. I didn't. I wasn't very public about it. I wasn't exactly a closet vegetarian, or but I was. I wasn't really open about it. Um, but eventually, people would know, and and I would. Uh, but I never made a big deal about pushing it on people, and maybe that was just for survival for myself, having had negative reaction initially. But I must say, my parents were accepting, uh, and. Um, never told me I couldn't or anything like that. They just wanted me to be healthy. My mom, you know, I think it's just any mother wants your, wants their child to be healthy, right? Yeah, I yeah. suppose, like, I can only imagine that back then when something is not as popular, right. it's not as known, people mm-hmm. are just generally worried about it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. They're not as knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Not as many people are involved. Right. So, right. yeah. yeah, no, I can definitely imagine that, but it didn't stop you and you just continued no, from there. I, I, I didn't mind. I wasn't too concerned about being popular, being the most popular person. So maybe that helped. Um, I mean, I was, I remember I was reading at the time, when would this be? This has been, been around the time I was becoming vegetarian. I'd read some of the works of uh, Henry David Thoreau, who 
although he was never he's been touted as being vegetarian because he said some positive some pro-vegetarian statements but he actually never was he always fished and he always ate meat but um but he believed it was something that people would evolve into and so i'd read a few quotes of his and and he was also all about the individual and standing out from the crowd and not being worried about being judged by others uh and that influenced me so maybe that helped uh, you know i don't know but um for sure yeah. um but it was uh it was certainly a lot harder to get information then i was very fortunate in that within about a year of, of becoming vegetarian i came across the toronto vegetarian association and although the members that were attending events were very much older than me. Um, You're old now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were my age or more now. <laughs> my age now or more. Um, I'm going to stop you there. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't start on about that track. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but it but it just meant that I was able to. There were at least people there who I knew were vegetarian. Yep. And there was information. There were talks and things and news. Building a network. So. so there was a bit of a network. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Cool. So at what point? So these two stories intersect and, you know, you guys are start able to, you're more able to work on these things together because, mm. you know, living in Liverpool, living in Toronto, you didn't know each other. So how did you meet and, you know, how did it, how did it start to evolve from there? It was over a plate of papaya, as I recall. Well, taking it back a step, there was a World <laughs> Vegetarian Union, IVU, International Vegetarian Union meeting. Um, which is a vegan conference, basically. Yeah, the World Vegetarian Congress, it was called. But yeah, it was vegan. It happens every two years. Mm. And then this year was in Thailand, and uh, we had a contingent travel out from the UK, which the Vegetarian Society went over to... Uh, we were doing a... Um, thinking of a bid for the UK. So we, we were interested. Interesting tidbit. The, the UK had done a bid... And Toronto had made a bid for the same Congress, for the Congress in 2000, and Toronto had beaten the UK <laughs> in the bid. It helped that the voting took place in the US, and we had a lot of allies that were there. <laughs> but, but um, so yes, but then the next year, the two years later, uh, the VSUK hosted the, the, uh, the Congress. Uh, so yeah, and I think that was voted on in Thailand, as I recall. Yeah, so we... Uh we got together over a plate of papaya. <laughs> yeah, so we met during the conference and uh, um, yeah, we, we uh, bonded Bonded there, yes. Had a good, uh, had a good had time. A good yeah. Talks yeah, and, and uh, lots of talks and lots of traveling around and then went our separate ways, but uh, kept in touch. We were very lucky that email had come along by then. <laughs> uh, and so we were able to keep in touch by email as well as phone calls and as I like to call it, transatlantic dating going Well, that, at that point, back. I didn't even have an email address. There was That's no right, Facebook or anything. I remember. I didn't have a computer at home, so I quickly got myself a computer. <laughs> and I was using TVA's computer for a while until I got one. It was like, <laughs> it's crazy. And yet, this is only 2000, isn't it? Well, this was, yeah, 1999. Yeah. So it's amazing how much has changed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so then, yeah, we... Went back, traveled back, you know, we traveled, we visited each other and um, eventually decided to get married. And I actually, even though we'd already decided to get married, I like this little story. I, I proposed to Jenny over a plate of vegan bangers and mash in a vegetarian pub in Brighton, England. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, uh, so very, very English meal. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. 
But uh, so then we set up home in Toronto and uh, Jenny, as she said, was very active already in, in England with animal rights activism as well as vegetarian mm. yeah, work. Yeah, it was kind of tough to leave because uh, mm. I was volunteering a lot and involved a lot and I'd set up a few bits and pieces here and there. So it's tough to leave when you've um, when you've set things up and when you're deeply involved. But yep. uh, so yeah, you'd mentioned you're you know you're a board member of Vegetarian Society. You're sounds like you had some other things going on as well, and you yeah, the local animal rights scene. We'd we'd mm. um, I joined World Animal Rights, and we'd um, become quite active there. I was a a rep for uh, a volunteer rep for Viva. So if they would send out amazing instructions to the uh, grassroots organizations around the country and we'd follow the instructions and do a really good demo um, for kangaroos was one time yeah, um, yeah. campaigning against kangaroo meat in the local supermarket or against um, hair coursing, which happened in uh, Liverpool area. Yeah, so it was tough to leave, but um, you, it, it's kind of nice. You can visit and, and kind of get established in other countries as mm-hmm. you you know and yeah, we've, um, we've find, been there. Yeah. yeah you have yeah. and find well, find activism and so uh, well Jenny got like I, I was able as as Jenny said she was on the council of VSUK and Vegetarian Society of the United Kingdom and I was already on the board of the Toronto Vegetarian Association. I had gotten on the board in the mid eighties to change things and to modernize the organization. And so was Jenny joined the board right away of TVA and uh, actually served a couple of years as president, didn't you, mm-hmm. as well? So, uh, and I had been president. So, yeah, so got involved in that way. But there wasn't as much animal rights activism going on in Toronto at the time. There, ha- there were some organizations, but they didn't seem to be doing a lot. Um, or what they were doing was more letter writing and uh, no, there were, there were petitions actually, and things. Yeah, it's, it's there just, were a few things. Yeah. There were. I mean, yeah. you can't discount what happened. Like in the basement, we've got signs oh, yeah, from amazing. the 90s. Mm. Um, they were very active in, in fighting against all sorts of issues way back right. in the 90s and the 2000s. And then as I became more connected, then I would hear of the different activism mm-hmm. that was happening, like ARC2 were kind right. of the uh, front runners locally, but mm-hmm. then there's Action Volunteer for Animals. Mm-hmm. Who still organize the yeah, National Anti-Fur Day. Yeah, still National Anti-Fur Day. So there's a, a good history of animal rights activism. It's just, I guess, at, at Specifically that point, in Toronto? And in um, well, Canada, other places too. Yeah. like generally. Yep. Mm. But I think when you, when in 2000, when you arrived, there wasn't, quite as much certainly not as much activism no, there as wasn't now as much and there was uh, no and not as much internet, as in the uk right. so that that was really accessible so mm-hmm. we didn't really get to learn about some of the uh, the activism mm-hmm. so coming across then when you know you are heavily involved you're busy and you've got a network and you know you've kind of built it from the ground up you come to a new place there's less activism you're new here mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know. It's it's always hard in a in a new place. What did you personally do to get involved? I know Peter just mentioned that you uh, served as the president here in Toronto. Was there anything else that you were able to do to you know to meet new people or start new organizations or get involved with other organizations that were already here? 
Well, I think it's easier now, but at the time it was just very, very gradual. So rather than um, being known as an animal rights activist, I was more, oh, um, a board member of a vegetarian organization, but it's pretty much vegan. Mm. So it took me a little while to kind of get back to the animal rights aspect. And um, you kind of find your tribe. Now it's it seems a little easier. We've got Animal Rights Toronto. We, we did have um, another Toronto animal rights, That's kind right. of the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, there were Primary potlucks. Mm -hmm. um, there was activism. There were films that you would watch at the potlucks. So I think gradually over the years, there's more and more opportunities for people to kind of come to a city and even start becoming a leader. There's so many um, people now who are willing to lead various activities and uh, demonstrations, which is amazing. Yeah. So now you have, you know, a plethora of, of groups here. Mm. Mm -hmm. They're all doing, you know, great work, different work, different right. outreach, yep. different demonstrations. You've shown me, you know, quite a few of the the different things you've been involved in as well. Do you want to go into a little bit of the the scene here in Toronto now? What is available? What you guys are typically involved with um, as well? Mm -hmm. And and your work that you've been doing, yeah, a little bit more recently. Sure. Um, Animal Rights Toronto is, is a good place to start off with for people. There's a Facebook group and there's a, a .com. Uh, we're an umbrella organization and you can find all the events from all the various organizations happening, such as Direct Action Everywhere uh, that I'm heavily involved with now. Uh, Anonymous for the Voiceless, Cuban mm -hmm. Truth is happening all across the city. Toronto Pig Save, the Save Movement started off in Toronto. That is hugely um, effective now uh, across the world, over 500 groups. So there's vigils where you can go to Toronto Cow Save, Toronto Ki Chicken Save, uh, Toronto Pig Save. Even Fur Save. <laughs> yeah, there's now mm -hmm. Toronto Fur Save as well, which mm -hmm. is, is awesome. Um, so me personally, what, I, um, what I'm kind of dealing with right now at the moment is uh, work uh, through Open Rescue and Direct Action Everywhere. And that is something where we want to try and raise the profile of what animals go through in animal agriculture. Um, I'm currently facing criminal charges, so uh, we'll have a, a trial next year. I say we because it's always teamwork and um, we'll make the most of it that we can. We had a pig trial already in Toronto with Anita Crines of the Save Movement, and that helped raise awareness. Mm. So we're hoping that Pig Trial 2, I think we're calling it now. Right. Pig um, Trial 2. Pig Trial the 2. Sequel. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag Pig Trial, <laughs> trial 2. Yeah. We're, we're hoping that that will raise awareness for what's going on in pig breeding mm -hmm. factories across mm. Canada and across the world. So now that you've brought that up, a couple of weeks ago I interviewed a lawyer from Harvard, Chris Green, he's in animal law. Um, and yeah, he brought up some really interesting things about the trials that go on in, in similar cases. So in Anita's case, they argued, she, you said she was giving water to a, a pig yep. at Toronto Pig Save. That's right. 
Yeah, out in Burlington, Ontario. Yeah, and and and, then, and they'd been doing that for a while. It wasn't the first time by any means. But, right. Uh, this particular trucker didn't like it and got out of his truck and told her not to. And it was all caught on film on video that the Toronto Pig Saves activists took, and they actually used that to charge her uh, with what was it? Criminal negli- negligent? No, not criminal mischief. criminal mi- mischief uh, over five thousand dollars, claiming that that was damages to the company. In what way? Um, well, the claim was that I, I think they claimed that it it was a contaminant that the water, being unknown what was in it, could have contaminated the the load of pigs and rendered them unfit for human consumption. However, as the trial showed, the slaughterhouse slaughtered all the pigs. They accepted them, so obviously they didn't think there was any problem, and nor did the. And if the trucker had thought it was a problem, he would have, you know, said something. So, uh, but the beauty of that trial oh, is that um, yeah. Anita and her lawyers, who were representing me, were able to call all sorts of witnesses mm-hmm. about animal sentience, about the environmental impacts of animal agriculture, about animal transport laws and how they were yeah. uh, affected. The actual animals on that day were affected. Were they over, uh, they, they were overheated and, and panting? About, and yeah, everything. about the health aspects mm-hmm. of a vegan. Um, lifestyle as well. David Jenkins was one of the yeah. um, witnesses. And he's from Toronto. He's <laughs> well, from he's Toronto. Lives, he's, lives in uh, Toronto. Invented the glycemic index. Mm-hmm. So there were some amazing witnesses brought to the stand, and the fact that the media were there to cover it yes. was yes. really encouraging. So it gives a wide, a wider presence these trials. It's mm-hmm. a, obviously it's not a nice place to be for yourself or Anita to to have to you know go through the proceedings that you know police coming to your house or going to court or whatever whatever it might be it's not Mm -hmm. pleasant but the outcome is it gives this you know this spotlight right on the situation people that otherwise wouldn't want to learn or would they wouldn't be looking to learn about this information they might find it in their local paper Mm -hmm. they might be able to read an article online and and learn about what's going mm-hmm. on so i think you know to your point it it does definitely open up the audience uh despite it not being you know a, a really nice pleasant experience for you guys that are that are out there doing the work um but the result of that particular trial was that she anita was was acquitted innocent. was acquitted yep. yes um the the and it went right to trial. It didn't wasn't like dismissed early on like mm-hmm. some other situations had been. But uh, it it she was acquitted of all charges. Now the judge didn't say you know didn't buy some of the claims that that Anita and her lawyers and Pig Save were trying were making. But nonetheless, uh, he said there was no proof so of 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 um, of mis- of, of um, of the of contamination yeah. of the charge they they couldn't prove the charge so therefore you know she was acquitted but in a way uh in many ways the she wasn't so much on trial the way as was the industry was on trial we mm-hmm. her lawyers and the movement were able to turn the tables yeah and i remember sitting in I, I wasn't i wasn't able to go to many of the court cases but i remember sitting in one of them and there were 
pork farmers sitting there and truckers sitting there and they were like shaking their head and going oh my god these you know <laughs> the testimony that was being given by the farmer and by the trucker they were you know they were really concerned about it and feeling that it was putting their industry in a bad light that industry needs to be sh- oh does it ever needs to be put in that light though mm-hmm. because um that pig farmer was on the stand trying to prove that he was an upstanding individual and that he took great care mm-hmm. a year later one of his barns goes up in smoke so all the animals inside just just burn to death yeah and that Horrible. is what we find um when we look into the industry we find horrendous conditions we find that there are barn fires on a regular basis animals are burning to death they're, they're trapped in these cages they can't get out it's just horrendous and, and the more that the public are shown what these conditions are like Mm -hmm. whether it means you know people like myself even have to go to jail to actually prove that point then then so be it so now coming to that to your part of this story would you be able to describe for me what it's like doing the rescues you do from you know entering a facility the sensory you know change from from the outside environment to inside of one of these, you know, factory farms. Um, yeah. To, I don't, however much depth you're able mm-hmm. to go into, just to give us an idea of, of what you're seeing in there, um, what yeah. it smells like, you know, the, the health of these animals. And then if you are able to go into any of it, you know, your personal case and, and, and what, has happened um and and why you're why you're being charged Mm -hmm. you know the thing that strikes me most is you you go through the countryside and you see these big white sheds they're pristine from the outside but then when you get inside when you get past the staff area when you open the door into where the animals are kept then what you don't see on the video what you don't feel is the sensory overload from the air is just full of particles and ammonia. Like your nose is streaming, your eyes are streaming, your lungs are filling up. You have, after you've been in a place like that, you basically have flashbacks. You talk about the health of the animals. I think the mental health of those poor animals too. You see the misery in their eyes. You feel the misery when you go into the room and you realize that they're terrified of humans, they know, the mother pigs know their life is pure hell. It's not like the piglets. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to take a couple of piglets out and especially the ones that are sick and dying, but they don't realize their life. The mothers do. And the male pigs do as well. There's a small room which was crammed with male pigs that had all their hormones, that had all the the sensory urges that the males did, and yet they still were crammed into small crates, couldn't turn around. And then when you're inside that, that place, the filth, the dead piglets in a bucket like the putrid 
happening uh, honestly uh, you know you, your words kind of fail when when you think back i mean we we captured photographs we captured video but it it doesn't do it justice no and i i really don't know how people can work in those conditions i don't know how people can go to work every day i mean some a lot of people are just you know they they struggle to find employment and industry targets people who are perhaps immigrants or who perhaps um, are underprivileged and try to have them work in these places. Now, for them, I have some understanding, but for other people, I, I cannot understand how they will compartmentalize what they have to do each day. All those pigs giving birth, dead piglets all around them, piles of feces everywhere. Yeah, it's just disgusting. Yeah, no, it's... I think you're right. Like, the the film and the photos, again, we're able to spread that message through social media. Mm -hmm. But for the people like yourself that actually go into a, a facility like this, there there is another element to it. There, there's the sounds in real time, in, in real life. There's the smells, the eye contact with an animal yep. that's experienced this it is experiencing this i think that's where some of the most powerful feeling can come from mm -hmm. whether it be a happy animal or a sad animal we were just at farm sanctuary right and you still are able to have this connection, connection with, a, with a happy animal mm -hmm. yeah. and it is much more obviously it's it's much more pleasant but it's still powerful in in the fact that you can understand that they're just you know, they're just beings that are, they're looking for, you know, for love to be cared for. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And and there was a special moment. There, w there was a lovely moment with uh, one of the piglets. I, um, I was their caregiver for about 10 days. Uh, we had vet treatment for them and we, we had to make sure that, you know, quarantine and um, their health wasn't compromised at all. So um, I would be feeding them. I was um, I was looking after them, and then um, after about three or four days, um, one of them looked up at me and made eye contact. And that that was it's incredibly special because until that time, you know, they're little babies that they're kind of running around not knowing what life is all about, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh. You're my caregiver. Mm. You know, you're kind. You you mean me no harm, and and eye contact was made in in such a special way. For sure, yeah. No, it's a, that is a uh, yeah. It's it's. I think it, what makes it even more powerful is the fact that you're not speaking like the same you know language. Like animals, obviously, have their own languages. We speak ours, but to share something like that without talking right. or, or without the same actions is, is pretty, yeah, it can be pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So thank you for, you know, giving us a bit of a, a you know, a deeper description of what you've experienced doing these because I think a, a very few amount of the, a uh, very small percentage of the population put themselves through, you know, put themselves through that uh, for animals, putting themselves at risk you know, for beings that are suffering. Right. And 
like I'm the face of this open rescue and the trial, hopefully just me at the moment. Um, but it's it's teamwork is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a massive team helping to make everything happen. So although I can't name anyone, um, I, I, ref I refuse to do that. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to those who were with me and to those who helped make it happen. Cool. No, they deserve a, mm -hmm. they deserve a big yeah. shout out for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. So apart from the open rescue stuff, I also like to learn a little bit more about, I heard your nickname you, you mentioned before, the disruptor. Oh, <laughs> yes. So you've made, you've made some cool disruptions, you know, different kind of um, arenas, if you will. Sure, I, I can say I've share, shared the stage with Al Gore. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you, what, what are what are a few of the uh, the protests that you, that you've you've made by you know disrupting an event or um, yeah whatever well, well, it, might, whatever Al, it might be the Al Gore one we we got a it was a was a Saturday or a Sunday morning or something and we got a phone call woke us up uh, um, we we've been trying to get the um, talk about veganism and, and or the impact of animal agriculture on climate change mm -hmm. and we're not getting anywhere and these were people who we knew who were active in the Toronto Pig Save and Climate Vegan which is an offshoot of Toronto Pig Save and the Save Movement and they were um, getting frustrated uh, and they thought we need someone to disrupt this so who are you going to call but Jenny, because <laughs> Jenny already had a reputation for for disrupting. So that was after the fashion. Show. That was after the fashion show. That's right. When you'd been on, gotten on a catwalk and mm -hmm. uh, in Toronto fashion during Toronto Fashion Week and got amazing coverage, press coverage from for that, uh, which uh, you so probably weren't even expecting for that one. What happened at the at the fashion show? Oh. Well, again, it was a, a teamwork that that allowed it to happen. Um, but I knew that um, when the organizer contacted me, Mariah Noel, when she contacted me to say she wanted to um, have a demonstration at the fashion show, I'm like, well, let's try and get inside and let's try and get on the stage and let's try and be there and make a statement. So, um, yeah, I dressed up and um, made a big sign, folded it up. So I just looked like an attendee, bought a ticket. Mm -hmm. um, I happened to be the only one that was um, able to get inside. So I jump on the catwalk behind one of the models who had fur trim mm -hmm. and just get into the swing of the music and just start enjoying myself, you know, with my big sign on the catwalk until security pulled me off. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the first one that kind of... So that was the first one that you personally did? That was the first big one. Yep. Yeah. There had been the odd... Um, minor disruption, say Canada Goose mm -hmm. speaker, um, but that was the first big right. one. So the aim of these is the coverage. So, well, it's the coverage, but as well, it, yeah, it's trying to disrupt the normalization of whatever mm. violence is being meted out to animals. In this instance, it's the fur industry, but it, it's also trying to reach society at, at the larger level. And the companies themselves trying to, you know, show them that not everyone is complicit in mm -hmm. whatever they're trying to peddle onto us, you know, whatever animal violence they're trying to sell. 
yeah, yeah no for sure mm-hmm. and and i guess we, you were fortunate in the fact the toronto fashion week one it was a fashion show there were loads of uh, press there and it got picked up by huffington post and and you know so the video has been seen you know few about 300,000 or more times or something uh which was you know good for that time certainly it was huge you know at that time um and the Al Gore one I guess there wasn't the press for that but uh it certainly made an impact on Al Gore didn't it (laughs) well it was nice because he actually then told his audience that he was vegan that's right which I think we knew anyway but the fact that um he then kind of you know, air quote, confessed <laughs> to being vegan and that it was um, a great benefit to him. Although still he was not quite um, making that link between no. animal agriculture and, um, and um, you know, veganism as a, a big benefit. For the environment. For the environment, and that's right. Is that one of the, the main criticisms criticisms of his... His inconvenient truth is that... And his climate realities training, too. The link isn't very... Or is it at all there? I I don't know. It's there. There's a picture of a feedlot. Yeah. But he really doesn't go on to describe that link. He uses the term industrial agriculture. Yeah. And he won't say animal agriculture because it would, you know, point a finger at, you know... A very particular group. Yeah. Yeah, I find that interesting that if he is, in fact vegan why he wouldn't include that but yeah i haven't looked into he, into he's doing work. it for health reasons for himself apparently um and he did say that he felt better but that it wasn't a political stance so okay he'll get there yeah i think in time yeah. um but there there were some people who took the climate realities training got to be official sort of climate realities presenters and then they've added to it by talking about you know, veganism and animal agriculture. So uh, there's a few people who've done in that. In a modest way, as yeah, far as the yeah, guidelines allow. Yeah, they have to be. That's right. Good mm. point. Uh, they have to, they can only go so far. So, um, but... Um, well, we've got other people, I suppose, that are taking care of it in a more direct fashion. Absolutely. With exactly. Cowspiracy. Yeah. Yep. So it takes, uh, it takes all angles. If Absolutely. that's the angle that he wants to take, mm-hmm. then, you know, at least, I suppose the positive is that people are learning about climate change in the first place mm-hmm. and i suppose we can hope that it directs them to something like cowspiracy right now, as a as a follow-up film right and i think also i've seen more recently that there have been more scientific reports saying we need to dr- drastically reduce our meat and dairy consumption the un i think uh, the un has yep. said that and uh uh un bodies have said that and and that's really good that's really positive so that's that's starting to get the message across to the general public uh, and hopefully to governments who will start to listen as well, maybe in time, and, and start to change their subsidies and supports for, for animal agriculture maybe. But the fact that there's now official bodies saying specifically that we have to dr- dramatically reduce our meat and dairy consumption is amazing. No, I think that's really important for mm-hmm. the, the wider population to then take action themselves right. so that we can start addressing it at, uh, at a faster rate than mm-hmm. than what's happening now. Because I feel like we're just waiting for like oh. p- politicians to make decisions, which... Yeah. Can't do that. It's not going to happen. So, <laughs> no, no. no, it's definitely down to us. Now, Jenny, 
I understand that you're not you're not a baseball player. <laughs> you don't you don't play for the Blue Jays, but you've been on the field. <laughs> I'd never been to a game, and it was it was quite something. Um, all the experiences I've had in Toronto for the like big tourist attractions have basically been because of animal rights activism. Yeah, that's funny. So um, we'd seen this kind of disruption happen in um, other cities with DXC, Direct Action Everywhere. Uh, we didn't have a banner, so I took many hours and painted the banner. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a projector and projected the letters over the wall and, mm. and painted the, the banner and made the banner. said Animal Liberation Now. Yes, mm-hmm. and then I wrapped it around my body under some clothing just so I didn't get my bag checked. Um, we made it down. We found some... Amazingly, empty uh, seats. I think an angel had been there yeah, and emptied incredible. four seats for us right at the front. So you had photographers there, and yeah, had two photographers, a film, yeah. uh, someone taking videography. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Carol Marocho and mm-hmm. uh, Len Goldberg. And with Jenny Henry, the two of us, um, she jumped, I climbed over the. Um, <laughs> is it a, is it a low fence? Well, it's kind of midway. So I said to Jenny, "I'm not going to jump over." I, um, so climbed over, um, got ready, and, and ran onto the pitch, and pretty much got an immediate chasing and um, takedown by security but we managed to in the middle of play get the banner up get a great video um, uh, ended up in handcuffs taken off the field of play and but managed to get the banner back and yes amazingly uh, the fans were actually um, praising us for, yeah giving for you high did. fives yeah. and saying you were the ones that went on that's amazing oh incredible you know yeah that is cool. I guess they were impressed <laughs> that you managed to get on the field. and Yeah, and, and, and part, part of kind of disruptions like this is to inspire others, yes. mm. other activists mm. to start taking action in whatever modest way they feel comfortable with um, and to dis- inspire others as well against, you know, that, that whole normalization of animals being used for food or for fur or, you know, in whatever awful uh, industry deems it okay to do so. We got Alice on the floor. Yeah, Alice That's the right. cat. Yes. She's cute. She's asking cute for cats. belly rubs, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like pigs do. Yeah, Isn't that interesting funny? enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I said that we were at Farm Sanctuary, and mm-hmm. I think that sanctuaries are another place where people uh, can, you know, get that connection with animals that they might be used to eating. Right. And when you have that connection with an animal that maybe you are used to eating, you think otherwise the next yes. time that that mm-hmm. opportunity is in front of you. So, Absolutely. yeah, there's lots of different ways for us to, to make the connection. And and one thing I, I think I can... One, just one quick question. Oh, yeah. Are you allowed back in the stadium? There was a pretty much a lifetime ban yeah. for me. <laughs> Good but thing you you're not what? a huge sports fan. <laughs> to be honest... Um, if if you're on your own or or you're in a group and, and you you don't get into trouble, and perhaps you have a little cap on next time <laughs> you go in, then you know these bans are not really. Not very I don't feel to be yeah. taken that seriously. Hard to enforce. Yeah, yeah, very hard to enforce. Yeah, I mean the problem is, for me personally, now I'm a little bit more recognisable by mm. the local police mm-hmm. who do um, patrol, say the city. 
So um, it's become that I'm a, a little bit of a liability now for any disruptions because um, I'm Fair. getting a little bit too well known. Yeah, they recognize you and yeah. know your first name. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them, yeah, which is, un- well, it's kind neat in a way, but unfortunate in another way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as you said, you've inspired a group of others. Yes. That are now able to to continue moving forward. Yes. So even if you're not able to... Do that be there, exactly. Yeah. If you're not mm-hmm. able to be there yourself as as much as you would like to be, mm-hmm. there's going to be, you know, you've inspired multiple people not to just, be there. Not just, uh, it's not just me who's who's. Yes, no, your team. Of course not. Your yeah. team. The yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the team is inspired. Yeah. I'm saying you because you're in front of me, but right. you're, you're absolutely right. Your team have inspired a whole new group of people. Yeah. And I'm not talking just about Toronto. We're talking about around the world, like. Peter's saying 300,000 views as an example of the, for the, for mm-hmm. the fur one. The yeah. fur one, you jump on the, the catwalk at a, at a fashion show. You know, someone in Auckland, New Zealand right. could have seen that. Yeah, and, right. and yeah. could have done something and similar. Could have done something similar. Yeah. So it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Like, the world is getting so much smaller. Like, how many countries do we have in this, in this one room? Right. <laughs> yeah. We have Australia, we have England, we have Canada, and Mexico, we have Mexico. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the world is getting smaller. And, yep. you know, the social media aspect really helps to boost activism, to mm-hmm. boost social justice movements. I was going to ask for, for you two, having been in the, the movement for, you know, I suppose the period of time where you've seen it grow from mm. a smaller percentage of the population, uh, not as popular, a harder message to spread right. to now. Mm-hmm. Social ma- media must be one of the things that is just really helping your work now in terms of spreading the message. Absolutely. It's like mm-hmm. when we do Cube of Truth. Yeah. We'll speak to people who come up to the Cube and a lot of people have already seen videos mm-hmm. of animal agriculture. And 20 years ago, they wouldn't nothing, have, no, nothing they wouldn't at all. Have. And some of them have seen something like in a movie, like conspiracy, or not necessarily even an animal. You know, even not necessarily the the videos that DXE shows, but not sorry uh, that um, that uh, AV shows and anonymous for the voiceless shows. But they might have seen something like um, uh, what the health or or uh, conspiracy, and they, and so they're aware of some aspects, and then. And some of them have seen undercover footage that someone like Mercy for Animals, an organization like Mercy for Animals or some other organization like Viva in the UK have taken um, inside uh, uh, an animal agriculture facility, a CAFO or something. And, um, and it's then connecting that to, to, to show them that that is a routine, common practice that, is, uh, that this happens all the time. And it doesn't just happen in the U.S. It happens in Canada. It happens in in Australia and all the developed countries, including developing countries as well, where we know there are these type of facilities. And even in the old-fashioned farms, there was still a lot of of death and and uh, and and suffering as well. And that's important because otherwise, people sometimes go away thinking, "Oh, I just have to avoid, you know, factory farm. I can buy humane meat, and then I'll be okay." Of course, we know that's a myth. Um, but social media certainly come, uh, does does make a, make a huge difference in terms of of getting those messages across. 
to people. But it's sometimes, I think just like in advertising, you have to expose people multiple times and from different angles. Yep. So I, um, I mean, we're, we're big, even though we, we volunteer for different organizations, specific organizations, we certainly believe in the diversity of tactics and approaches, uh, to, to reach people because not everybody is touched in the same way. Not everybody's eyes are opened in the same way. Right. And that's one of the reasons, um, we give monthly donations mm-hmm. to the big organizations too. Yes. And those who are campaigning and to sanctuaries. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a kind of grassroots activist, but I, I still applaud the work that the big organizations do and try and help them in whatever way I can. Love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah really important that we've yeah. got the di- diversity of tactics. Absolutely. Uh, for the reasons you just said, yeah. And the other thing, like a lot of the work I do, other than volunteering with, you know, at AV or sometimes in the Save Movement or DXE, is with the Toronto Vegetarian Association, a pro-vegan group, and we're trying to get, you know, make vegan food more available using things like our um, our Tr- Toronto Veg Guide, and uh, which has been copied by other organizations. And, and our, I mean, I'm, no doubt we didn't originate the idea, although we did have the original Veg Food Fest, uh, Veg Fest, um, and, and probably still have one of the biggest ones in North America. Uh, but getting people who are not vegetarian, who are not vegan, who are just curious to try different foods, to try to go to vegan and vegetarian restaurants which of course have grown in such huge numbers it used to be you know when i first became vegetarian there was maybe two or three vegetarian restaurants in toronto and now there's you know i don't know there's dozens of of, of vegan restaurants right uh and many others that have vegan options so it certainly made it much easier for people to to experiment with you know on try different vegan foods and and now that you can get them in supermarkets and uh, and as I say restaurants, it's making it so much easier. So I think that's another important part is to is to make people aware of the availability and to improve the availability of foods. At the end of the day, the food is what makes someone you know able to get involved in veganism most people eat three at least three times a day right they need to know they can get something on their plate that is going that they're going to like and that it's going to sustain them and uh they're going to stay healthy stay healthy hopefully uh if they're if that's their you know hopefully that's their concern uh, as well healthy uh, compassionate choices absolutely yeah for sure so what else do you think you know aside from social media are there any other things that stand out that have been a big change from the beginning of your work? I think science is making Mm. leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the various products, meat, Beyond Meat. We we, uh, we had a Beyond Meat burger, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Jenny just cooked us up some Beyond Meat burgers. (laughs) Never never going to say no to that. Peter's the usual cook, but um, (laughs) I can do the the short order stuff. Yeah, you're great at short order. (laughs) Yeah. And and just the variety of... uh, technologies that are allowing some of these uh vegan cheeses and Mm -hmm. vegan meats and even uh you know the more controversial um cultured meats and clean meats Mm. on the market and even people like bill gates microsoft founder investing into these technologies yeah so i think um 
taste, unfortunately, you know, influences a lot of people mm-hmm. and um, yes. convenience. So with those technologies, making leaps and bounds, that's really encouraging too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, no, the, the food... It, Anna and I, looking back, even just a couple of years from when... Well, it's nearly three years, but when we made mm-hmm. the decision to to switch our diet as well, it has come a extremely long way in mm-hmm. just in just three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. products available now are you know growing exponentially, and they're getting tastier and mm-hmm. more readily available. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I feel like we're with all these different tactics, mm-hmm. with all the different ways we're showing the message. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's becoming much more widespread, growing with popularity. Mm-hmm. And not only that, people, more people are getting up and speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is also very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moby, Moby was at a Cube of Truth. New York, yes. Um, just a couple of days ago, um, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. No, he's a he's a big voice for the for the animals. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he said it's his life work now. It's like yeah. he still makes music, but it's his life work. His, his yeah, he's his been, animals. He's been selling activism. selling equipment, donating all the all the proceeds to the physicians committee, right? Uh, which I think is Doctor Barnard. That's right, Neil Barnard. Yeah, yeah, yep. um, organization. So, yeah, to see him doing that and. Mm-hmm. And, and really he's a long time vegan. He yeah, is. That, that's another one. You know, he's another one that's been around for a long time and seen a lot of changes. But he's using his influence and his money, and his resources to to help push things along as well, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah he's got a restaurant, which yes. we'll have to go to when we're. Oh, I'd when love we're, to go there too. When we're Little down pine. that way, yeah. Little Pine. We, we, yeah. He opened one up in New York. Didn't he, he did a long time ago. It, was, it wasn't vegan at the time. It was we vegetarian. went to it though, and I had the, the best dessert of my life. Yes, was it was like a wonderful a vegan chocolate chocolate covered <laughs> bomb thing yes so thank you moby for yeah. my huge amazing dessert experience from many years back yeah yeah big shout out to moby <laughs> mm-hmm. that'd be a lot of fun if we could potentially speak with him when mm-hmm. we're on our travels but mm-hmm. if, if I mean, he's a busy at, guy so if you were at the um animal liberation western, western. convergence then mm-hmm. you would have been able to have a chat with moby he's actually joined direct action everywhere this weekend Yes. Um, on the stage with Wayne Shung. Mm. And they did a live stream and yeah. it's probably available as a video on yeah. DXE site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was really, it was really inspiring actually hearing him talk. And, and he cool. talked about having, you know, many different approaches and, you know, we don't know what works best for what, you know, for one in particular individual or for a group in society. So For sure. Um, but I've seen a change also. I think another thing that's important is different generations accept change in different ways. And it seems that millennials now seem to be much more willing to change and much more willing to adopt a vegan li- lifestyle and, and, uh, and work for, for animals, uh, for animal rights, uh, than many other generations. So that's really encouraging to see that um, because, you know, we thought other generations would, would adopt things and there were some, you know, in the s- 60s there were movements and, you know, the anti-war movement and the, and the, um, so the hippies and things like that certainly had some influence and some of them became vegetarian and, ve- and vegan, but, um, but most didn't. And most sort of, you know, the baby boom generation sort of just passed it by and just ignored it. There was only a few people like myself and, uh, and, and others, uh, who, who adopted that. But, 
but now it seems that, there, that there's a the the, ch- the um, degree of change or the uptick in change is 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 happening so fast and we see it in certainly places like the uk but even here and in toronto and other parts of canada and the u.s we see that rapid growth and and certainly rapid growth in people eating vegan foods as well as a rapid growth in the number of vegans and the number of activists yeah i definitely agree with that i think it's a culmination of what we've kind of just spoken Mm -hmm. about it's all it's all working together pretty nicely at the moment um, to force this rapid change. Yes. In addition to what you also alluded to is we still have a lot of work to do. Oh, mm-hmm. God, yeah. So, <laughs> Huge. you know, the we, we can't forget that. It is easy to to kind of get wrapped up in a... Well, we can, we can live in a vegan, a vegan yeah. uh, echo yeah. chamber or a vegan bubble. And, yep. and uh, yeah, we also have to know that just as there's technologies that are improving... Uh, the availability and, and quality of vegan foods. There's also horrible technologies that are being used to enslave animals and to to mm. confine them and to manipulate their bodies and uh, you know breed them so that they can't live natural lives. It's just you know, and it's all about selling more and making more money and and expanding their markets. And uh, we're fighting that. So it's it's a big it's a big fight. It is absolutely. Mm. It's uh, it, it's a huge fight. What we're up, what we're up against. But I feel like we're we've got the momentum. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's it is on the the side of compassion, and I think that should win over, you know, ensla- enslavement of of animals that have mm-hmm. no choice uh, in in you know being a part of this cruel industry. So I do hope we continue your work and we you know we just continue to grow and uh, and someone and like yourself to, is yeah. completely inspirational to me as well cuz you're you're a fairly new vegan mm-hmm. um you have a podcast you're meeting uh really interesting people you're interviewing them you're getting the word out mm-hmm. so for me who's been around for many many years um, having new vegans uh, come up and be organizers and do interesting and exciting projects really gives me hope. Absolutely. So thank you. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome to be here. I, I love the fact that the podcast has brought me to uh, meet in- interesting people, mm-hmm. you know, around, I can now say, start to say around the world because mm-hmm. I think this is now the officially the second country that I've interviewed in. So, oh, great. Um, cool. US to Canada. So, mm-hmm. yeah, really, really happy we could meet up. And mm-hmm. thank Likewise. you for having me in the, in the, in the home, Anna and I in the home. And mm-hmm. yeah, really, really nice to meet you. Stoked to share your story with my listeners. Mm-hmm. I think it's super inspiring that not only, you know, you, you took up this work long before it was, you know, popular or long before there were large crowds of people doing it, but you're continuing to do it and you're continuing to inspire others who want to get involved. So thank you very much for your work, guys. And I look forward to following along and, and you know, continuing to, to learn from you too. Awesome. Wonderful. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Cheers. What an awesome couple to learn from. 
Peter and Jenny have decades of experience under their belt and we were lucky to have the opportunity to stay with them for a few nights. The work they continue to do is much needed, as Peter highlighted. We are on the right track, yet there is so much more that needs to be done. As Jenny did for Anna and I, I suggest that you find a local save movement and attend even just one vigil. In my experience, it solidified the reason for my choice to leave animals off my plate and to most importantly speak up for what they go through. It may not be the popular topic of discussion for most, but each conversation we have with people who are interested is a seed planted. We don't have to be the reason they go vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, whatever it might be. We just need to help with the questions they have and provide quality resources to help them along the way. I hope you're able to learn from today's episode and enjoyed hearing Peter and Jenny's story. If you do have a couple of spare minutes after the show, I'd be so grateful if you can leave a review and rating on iTunes or the app you use for podcasts. It really helps the show reach more people around the world. I also love hearing from you guys on Instagram, so please feel free to reach out to me at VegTalk. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. Let me know what you thought of the latest episode or one you've listened to recently. So I'll see you all next week for an episode with world-renowned heart surgeon, Dr. Coldwell Esselstyn. I'm looking forward to chatting with you all. Until then, see you later, veggie mates.